Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're here to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Hello and welcome. We're back. We're back. A dinosaur story. Do you remember that movie? (laughs) I do. I just watched... um... A, a trailer from it the other day that I found on YouTube because uh, somebody told a story about it and I was like, oh yeah, they were running amok in like New York and the adventure was a lot more convoluted than I remembered. Yes. Also, John Goodman <laughs> was the T-Rex. Was he really? Yeah. Huh. I missed that. John Goodman. <laughs> he, he was a good man. He was a good man. Is a good he man? A, Is he okay, a good man? T- Is he dead? No, he's alive, but we don't know if he's a good man. Because a lot of men that we thought were good men are not so good men. Because they're controllers. It's very, it's very possible. It, I, yeah, I mean, probably. Where does he live? Is he essential to the invasion? Yeah, what's what's his home address? Where does he live? He won't tell you. Why not? Because he can't. None of us can. I already know his last name. Well, there's a lot of people called Goodman, right? Um. A few Goodman. (laughs) <laughs> there's probably a few good men <laughs> yeah with jack nicholson he was in that movie a few good men i've never seen that movie i just know that that's where that quote you can't handle the truth comes from they're like yelling in a courtroom that's all i know about that movie <laughs> all right i'll accept it then again i i quote movies all the time that i am unsure if i've seen but you know enough about them to know where they're from and that's all you need <laughs> I was gonna say I was just talking to um to my friend the other day about that scene where we're like what's that movie where the guy melted down toy army soldiers to make bullets and we were trying to remember it for like the longest time and then I googled that scene and it turns out it's the Patriot and she's like ah yes I remember the entire movie now I'm like oh I have never seen it I just saw like that clip and that was it is that the one with Mel Gibson yes Okay, I've seen the movie poster. I know nothing else about the movie. I just remember the movie poster with Mel Gibson's face. I think I saw like a thing on a TV once with that one scene of him melting down the toy soldiers. And that is all I know about it. So yes. Between the two of us, we've seen the poster. <laughs> he was also in Braveheart. Yes, that's much more important. Is it? I've never seen Braveheart. I, have. I haven't seen a lot of Mel Gibson movies, actually. Just Pocahontas. Wasn't he in um, another one? Chicken Run. Space. He was in Chicken Run? He's in Chicken Run. What What did he do in Chicken Run? He was Run? The, the rooster guy. Oh. Rocky Roads. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's a good movie. Right. This is becoming clear to me now. I remember Chicken Run a little bit. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's all right. It's about chickens and they run. I always get it confused with Wallace and Gromit because the animation styles are so similar. It's the same studio. Ardman. Nailed it. Birdman. Nailed it. 
Cheese grommets. <laughs> anyway, this is a that's chaos. The quote. <laughs> that's that's the stinger right there. Yep, that's what we know about Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> Welcome to the Wallace and Gromit podcast, where we tell you that they like cheese and we know nothing else. That's all you need to know. <laughs> and also talk about Mel Gibson movies that we haven't seen. Oh my god, this is an interesting <laughs> opening to an Animorphs podcast. Up. Really well for an Animorphs podcast. Oh boy, it's been a while. <laughs> oh, I forgot to tell you, um, next episode will be the Ides of March episode, so we should address that somewhere. Ooh, okay. I have um, in the, the shared Google Drive the episode, what they are episodes, like Valentine's Day or Casey's birthday, or that's about oh, it. Yeah. We are going to watch on my birthday. I'm not on my birthday. I mean, well, not that your... not that anyone knows my birthday. It, it's not pertinent information. That's okay. There's probably plenty of people who are born on your birthday. I was trying to remember celebrities that were born on my birthday. Because I knew it at one point. I want to say Whitney Houston, but I don't think that's true. Oh, Robert Redford was born on my birthday. Ooh. Yeah. Who's that? He's the guy that's in the, um, the horse movie. Oh my god, why have I forgotten the title of this? Um, Black well, Beauty? No, um, it's the one where he's a cowboy and the girl gets hit by a truck and she brings her horse to him and they're damaged and he, like, ends up sleeping with the mom and it's very confusing. Uh... Silent, call it... Hmm. Call of the Wild? It's not no, Call that's of a wolf. the Wild. That's it. I'm looking it up right now, sorry. I, this is gonna bug me because I read the book. I should really remember this. I almost said Where the Red Fern Grows. That's also a dog movie. It I'm is the dog person the- who... What? Are you ready for this title? It's called The Horse Whisperer. Oh. Based on the true story of The Horse Whisperer? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. I should have remembered that, especially since I said The Horse Movie, and that was literally only one word off from what the actual title was. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I only have enough space in my head for, like, bird facts and animorphs, and that's really it. I mean, that's all you need, really. I I hope so. And, like, maybe pop song lyrics. That's also like, all you need. That's very yeah, important. Like 50% Animorphs, 30% Bird Facts, 20% pop song lyrics. I love it. You you are a complete human being. I am a rounded individual. <laughs> yes. I will do well in the world. <laughs> well, speaking of Animorphs... And well-rounded individuals... Uh, yeah. So... Oh, we're at Marco's book! Yay! Yay! I was I was looking forward to this book because um, Marco was kind of the one I was sort of fascinated with as far as like he's like the the comedy guy, but he's also got a really tragic backstory. So I was kind of like, all right, well, how is this gonna go? Um, and really, I was just very very sad the whole time. So uh, yeah, holy shit! Well, another emotionally charged book. What's the saying? It's tragedy and comedy are the two sides of the same coin. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I was, um, I mean, I, I know Marco, like, I, I know the characters. That's what sticks with me more than anything else in these books. So, like, I, I kind of knew what we were in for, but um, I still, it, it always kind of, it's hard reading, reading through these. And, um. I feel bad because I've spent the last two podcasts, two, three podcasts, calling Marco an asshole. And I just want to state right up front that when I say, like, asshole, I mean, like, 
he's really lovable. He just says some dickish things, and um, I I do love Marco. I do not dislike him as a character at all. He's he's one of my favorites, actually. <laughs> I just I didn't mean to call him an asshole, so I'm going to apologize for that right now. <laughs> I mean, there were definitely a couple of lines in the book where I just like seriously rolled my eyes. So I'm like, I can't believe you said that, Marco. And I will bring them up as we go through the plot, I'm sure. Okay, but, perfect. But yes, I, I, yeah, I agree. He's, so far, he's not a bad person. He just says some rude things sometimes. He's a rude boy boy. <laughs> and I think he is rude because he he can see, like, the truth of the matter. And sometimes it's like, it, it comes off as rude because it's said bluntly, but if you look at what he's saying, it's like you you get mad almost because it's true and you don't want it to be. So like you're getting angry at him for telling you the conclusion that you didn't want to hear. Yeah. I think. So. Yeah. He's not an asshole. I'm sorry. I, I really, like, when I was re-listening through the podcast for, like, editing and things, I was like, man, I've come down really harshly on Marco and that's not what I meant at all. Oh. Especially I can say whatever book. I want, because I can always retcon <laughs> later and be like, oh, I'm sorry, I just haven't read the books. <laughs> you can be like, oh no, I thought Cassie was a wonderful human being, and now I understand why everyone dislikes her. <laughs> oh my god! I'm kidding. I'm so curious. I really want to know. But well, I will probably not... won't find out for later, until much later, right? You're not going to find out until about um, July of 2020. That is too... And a half years from now. <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, you'll see moments shine through before then, but, you know, you're going to have to wait a while to get to the oh real conclusion. God. I can't. I can't wait that long. I need to know. <laughs> no, you can't know. You're a spoiler-free zone for the most part. Crap. This is the burden I have to bear. This is the burden you have to bear. Just like, see, this is our sliding scale of how these books are going to go. The first, very first book... I was, like, strangling myself not to tell you things, and it gets a little easier for me each book, but it gets a little harder for you each book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is, like, we'll meet somewhere in the middle, like, book, like, what, 20, somewhere between book 22 and 23, we'll meet in that middle ground where we're both, like, on even footing, but until then, <laughs> it's gonna be a little easier for me and a little worse for you. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! And that oh, is man. really the core of Animorphs. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm going to go ahead and start talking about Marco because he opens this book on a super heroic note. And I'll just ro start rolling this into my apology. of <laughs> Like, I'm sorry for calling him an asshole. I really do love him. And this book opens <laughs> with Marco leaving the 7-Eleven where he's had to shop for groceries because his dad has been an emotional wreck for years now since his mom has died. They're coming up on two years. And he's bought um, bread, low-fat milk, and peanut M&Ms. That is, is all you need. That's all you need. That What else would, like, a 12-year-old buy at a 7-Eleven? He's like, we gotta live for a week. Low-fat milk, bread, peanut M&Ms. I would say, though, if I were in his position and I was going to 7-Eleven, I would also get a slushie, because that's what you do. Obviously. I used Although to live next to a 7-Eleven. Did you? Yeah, and 
I got a slushie from there once, and then the Seven Eleven closed down, and I just had so many regrets. Anyway, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, if he had gotten a slushie, that would have made the next part of this, like, even more heartbreaking. Because he loses all his groceries. So he would have lost his yeah. groceries and his slushie. Oh my god. So, okay, I have to tell you that when I watch something or read something where the character was, like, buying food and he's, like, carrying it home and then he has to, like, drop it for some reason, that makes me so sad. I can't even explain to you how sad that makes me. I'm just like, you You had a mission and you went out to buy this food and you had to drop it and you lost it and now it's ruined. Oh my god, I'm just getting so upset just thinking about it. I don't know why I get so upset about this, but I do. Well, I have to keep asking questions now. Like, wait, like, what part of it obsessed you the most? Like, that they lost it or just that they, like, what? What is it? I I don't know. It's just, (laughs) I don't know. Or, like, if someone is, is, a character is carrying food and then they, like, get attacked and they drop all their food. I don't know why, but, oh, I, I literally can't even explain. I just, it makes me so sad. It's like when a little kid loses like a doll or like a stuffed animal and it's and then they find it later and it's just the stuffed animal sitting haphazardly in the dirt. Even in real life when I see an abandoned stuffed animal, I get really upset. I don't know what oh my god. It's such a dumb thing to get upset about, but I'm just it's ugh. not. Have you ever read the Tolkien story about the little toy dog that goes to the moon? No. So it, Tolkien wrote it for his sons, who uh, I, I believe the backstory of it was they were on vacation and they had this little toy dog that they loved and they lost it. So Tolkien wrote this whole story and he goes on these series of adventures where he's like, he just goes through these wild, fantastical things and meets the man on the moon. And he eventually comes back and like finds a new owner in the story. And like, it, it's just, it's really, it's heartwarming. And Aww. I just think you'd enjoy it being extremely sad when people lose their things. Oh my god, that's great. Yeah, maybe that's why I'm not sad, because like in my head I'm like, oh, well, my eggs are off for a fantastic adventure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh my god, I feel like we're right back in the whole, like, Tobias in the mall scene right here, and we were like <laughs> two pages in. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry I got so upset. There are much more pertinent things to get upset about in this book. And I'm well, just like, Marco lost his groceries. <laughs> well, there is, but you know what? He's, he has the power to fight aliens, but at the end of the day, his dad doesn't have a full-time job. His dad is scraping by to taking up these terrible, like, janitorial positions, and he's a computer engineer, so, like, this guy has fallen, and he has to work really hard to get that money, and, like, Marco just lost it. And it's, like, one of those things, like, it's a little kid trying to keep it together for his dad. And he even says in this book, he feels like he lost his mom and his dad because his dad's so despondent. And <laughs> I now thought you were going to say he lost his groceries. mom and his groceries. <laughs> he lost his mom and his groceries. He bought those M&Ms. And when his mom died, he also lost those M&Ms. Oh my god. I'm so sorry. I'm still stuck on this groceries thing. <laughs> and, like, the worst part is that he doesn't even go back to get them, but in another scene later in the book, they go back and get stuff out of the garbage that they yeah. stashed there. Yeah, so I was like, noticing that. Marco doesn't even care about his own crap, but he goes back to get other stuff. Oh my god. Wow, this 
really, I, I didn't know you were so upset by this sort of thing. I think it's it represents a loss of innocence, kind of. Like, you were just doing this mundane, everyday errand, and then something terrible happened and it just, like, fell apart. And that's, like, I don't know. It, I, I really can't explain it. And... <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I wish you could see my face right now. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. This has been like a ten minute rant. About <laughs> how upset we are about Marco losing his groceries. <laughs> and like the other thing is this isn't even like groceries this is what a freaking 12 year old buys when you go to 10 bucks and they go to 7-eleven like this isn't even it's not like he lost the food he had for the week which he did because this is what he bought for the week but this would not feed anyone for any amount of time (laughs) so it's like you bought this useless stuff and then you immediately lost it and we're so sad for you but you would have died if this was all you had to eat Oh my god. I'm crying. I'm laughing so I am hard. Too. Oh my god. Our listeners are going to be like, what the fuck are these girls on? They're going to be like, why are they so sad that he lost the, like, the, <laughs> the bread? And you know what? This probably wasn't even, like, a gallon of milk. It was probably one of those tiny little, like, quart bottles. It probably yeah. was, like, not even. Oh. This is so upsetting. Oh my god, I've roped you into my despair. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I really, I, at the beginning of this, I was willing, like, I made a note of the groceries because I thought it was funny and I was gonna, like, just bypass it and, like, mention it. And, <laughs> and then I'm having a fucking meltdown over here. <laughs> I didn't realize I was gonna, like, this was gonna cause such an emotional outburst. <laughs> oh my god. I didn't either. I just, like, I just thought I oh. would mention that stuff like that makes me sad but then it just turned into so much more as i got into it it's like a rabbit hole of despair i feel like we just got a glimpse into like what therapy is like (laughs) oh my god yeah i i feel a lot better owning up to this thing about myself that i had for a really long time and have never really confronted before i feel like you've really opened up to me and that our relationship just like gained another level did we just become better friends we, we did just become better friends. Oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> 20 minutes into this podcast, and we're not even, like, a page into this goddamn book. I swear we're on page two. Oh, okay. We, we must be. I can look. I have the book right next to me, because this was one of the few books where I actually have the the paperback copy right here. And I did spend a large portion of my time that I was supposed to be reading it, flipping through the corners, watching him morph into a gorilla. Oh, I forgot they did that on the books! Right? Oh, I there oh. was um, a young child over, <laughs> she was like seven, for New Year's Eve. It's a friend of mine's daughter. And, like, I ran out, like, she was sitting normally on the couch, like a responsible adult. And I ran out, I'm like, check out my books! Look at the corners! They morph into animals! Isn't this cool? And I'm, like, shoving it in her face and, like, flipping the pages. <laughs> and she's like... That's nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, back off, crazy. <laughs> yeah, she's like, listen, this is a little weird. Can you please tone it down a notch? And I'm like, but he turns into a gorilla. Look at it. You yeah. know what? Kid, kids these days have fucking iPads and bullshit. They don't they probably care about have grocery list apps where they buy, like, peanut butter and jelly and bread all together. Ugh. 
Oh, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to talk about what happens next. We got, yeah, yeah. We <laughs> this gotta... might turn into therapy hour. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so sorry, everyone. Please don't be. I feel really enlightened right now. Cool. <laughs> so <laughs> what happens next after Marco drops his groceries and loses them is uh, he then decides to take on four thugs who are trying to rob an old man. He kind of has this moment of like, do I do it? Do I go? Or do I just like let it be like not mess with it? And he in the end goes, yeah, I got to save this guy because I have the power to do it. So he goes into the alley and starts like epically beating up these thugs, like throwing them into the dumpsters and tossing them over his shoulder. One guy comes at him with a knife and he just like drops the guy. Um, Did we mention that Marco is now a gorilla? I'm just yeah. like, if, Shoot. if that's not mentioned, then Marco, the 12-year-old, just, like, goes in and starts, like, like Chuck Norris on these dudes. That's right. He turns into Big Jim. Okay, <laughs> My yeah, yeah. bad. Sorry. He turned key, into key a gorilla. Points. Okay. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and fulfill Marco's wildest dreams right now and tell you he did this as himself, as a yeah, boy. as a human boy. Marco would like me to tell you that because he thinks it's funny. Oh my god. He would like that. <laughs> he would like that. So and he's he's a gorilla, um, or just a small boy, if you prefer. And <laughs> he's dropped. It's open for guy. interpretation. <laughs> it's a, it was it was a little unclear. When they said he went into the shadows and morphed, we could have missed it. Yes. I'm leaving it open. So <laughs> he starts taking on these guys and uh ends up like slamming them all and, and putting them into the dumpster, like in from what I gathered, one by one, until there's the final guy left who draws a gun on him, he throws the entire dumpster at the guy and just levels him, loses track of the gun. And right when he's kind of like, oh, I better, you know, I'm going to get out of here and call the cops, let them handle him. The old man, like, is behind him, like, saying, get out of here, you demon. And the guy has the gun leveled at him, the old dude. So Marco goes, like, screaming out of there, still in Gorilla Morph, as fast as he can with bullets whizzing past him, going like, oh, this is why you don't help people. That was stupid. Well, so sad. I'm like, he was trying to do a good thing. and That's the open of this book. (laughs) Hooray! Marco, the most reluctant character, finally decides to do something good, and then he was like, oh, wait, never mind. Nobody wants that. Marco gets... Things come back to bite Marco in the ass all the time. Yeah. Poor Marco. Yeah. So Marco starts giving us the rundown of the characters. And um, one thing that struck me when he's describing Jake is it's the normal, like, he's the leader and he's like a a broad guy and he's, you know, he's kind of handsome, whatever, brave, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like mentioning him. He's like, and he has brown hair and brown eyes. So I'm like, well, it's really plain. Wait. Didn't he say Jake had, like, sensible brown hair? Trustworthy brown eyes? Yeah, something like that. Like, very, like, boring descriptor words. Sure. Yeah. And then he's like, you know, he mentions Cassie as his girlfriend now, but nobody says that. Mm -hmm. Rachel's the total babe gone psycho. That's, um, I was a little perplexed by that line. Because I think I, I mentioned in an earlier podcast, I, w- I was like, oh, hey, does Marco, like, have a thing for Rachel? Because, um, mm-hmm. like, we know that Rachel's, like, objectively, conventionally beautiful. Um, but I, when he described her as a total babe, I was kind of like, hmm, okay. And then, 
And then he goes on to add, unfortunately, she's totally insane. I was like, all right. All right, Marco. (laughs) That could go either way for me with Marco. Like, one, it could be like, oh, that's a bit of an awkward line, like, that he would say that. But the other thing that we find out about Marco is he watches, like, an insane amount of Baywatch. So I feel like he throws out those taglines all the time. Like, and it's just a reference to, like, the terrible daytime TV he watches. She's a bodacious babe. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like, I I don't know. It could go either way for me. I choose to ignore it. (laughs) Yeah. I choose to ignore it because apparently the only person I openly criticize is Cassie. Oh. I know. I try not to. Um, And then we have Tobias, and uh, he mentions that, like, I actually wrote this down word for word. He goes, I tease Tobias sometimes. What happened to him scares me. And Mm -hmm. Marco's never shy about admitting his fear. Like, even when he agrees to these crazy missions, he's like, you realize how stupid this is. And he's he's very open and, and honest about when he's scared, but it just, like, when you read it like that, it's always like, oh, yeah, like, he's right. This is terrifying. <laughs> so, yeah. I just liked that part. So, after his descriptors, we cut back to Jake saying, you did the right thing, but we really shouldn't be morphing. And Rachel's like, yeah, probably not, but, like, I totally agree with you. What you did was the right thing to do, and you were heroic. And then Marco goes, well, I know I'm in the wrong if Rachel's agreeing with me. Right. <laughs> and... I love that line, but it's also, I think I've said this in the past podcast, that really Marco and Rachel do end up on the same side of arguments a lot of the time. They yeah. take totally different ways to get there, but they end up on the same side. So yeah, just another moment of that happening. And then Axe comes galloping into the picture beautifully through the, through the fields, wonderfully, like a, a small horse or a large deer, but blue. Yeah, I realized I don't think we described animor- or Andalites at all on this podcast. Uh, they so. are blue, and have four legs and hooves, and eyes, and eye stalks, and no mouth, and a scorpion-esque tail with a blade on the end. And they're furry. <laughs> they're blue and furry. Oh, and then the line, Cassie and Rachel think Axe is cute. I wouldn't know, being a guy. I was like... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but he admitted earlier that, well, never mind. He, he said Jake was a good-looking guy. He knows. He's just not saying it. He just doesn't want to judge an alien. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, he's he's kind of like a sensual, but... A sensual. <laughs> so Axe comes galloping up, and uh, I don't know why Axe immediately launches into this conversation, but he's like, we gotta talk about honor, guys. <laughs> and the Andalite honor, honor system honors and this is really i i mean i do know why he talks about it this is kind of the basis of andalite society like there's a lot of uh a a lot hinges on honor and doing the right thing and never being afraid and blah blah blah. like yeah these guys are they're super military right now prince (laughs) prince zuko (laughs) these they're the fire nation oh no the fire nation would be no, this doesn't work. We can't make an Avatar The Last no. Airbender analogy here. That's okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. I tried. I tried to work it in, but we'll just have to save that for the Avatar cast. The Avatar cast? 
Are we doing yep. an Avatar podcast? <laughs> Apparently we're doing an Avatar podcast. All the right. movie and the TV show. And the movie. What movie? There is no movie. The, the movie no, the, we, we with the blue cat people. Oh, that one. <laughs> Avatar by John Cameron Mitchell? James Cameron. James, James Cameron sorry. Mitchell. <laughs> that would be a very different movie. <laughs> it's like uh, Hedvig and the Angry Inch, but with blue aliens. I would watch that. I would too, actually. That's, let's pitch that. that. Copyright. Okay. Don't steal that. That's ours. Yeah, that's ours. <laughs> Back off. Uh, that, yeah, back off. So um, Axe comes in, starts talking about honor. <laughs> and Marco yes. is arguing that he doesn't exactly want to invite Visitor 3 into their little party using this distress beacon that Axe has built. Which, the whole plan is now that they're going to build a distress beacon, they're going to call a Yerk ship down, and then they're going to take out the pilots and Axe is going to steal it so he can go back home and the trade-off of them risking their lives and doing this harebrained scheme is that Axe is going to try and hurry along the Andalite War Council or whatever, and he's going to try to get help to them faster. Try. And this whole basis is on the fact that he's Elfangor's brother, and he thinks his people will listen to him. Yes. Yeah. No one listens to a child. No one listens to a child. This is what these books are about. At the end of the day, no one listens to children. That's, I don't think that's at all the moral of these stories, but I'll throw it in there. So, um, they're coming up with this plan, and they're going to go and get all the parts he needs to make this. Oh, there was another part of this I wanted to mention, actually, just backtracking a slight bit. And that is that during this conversation about how they're building this transponder and, and distress beacon and everything, um, Marco says that he's afraid, and Axe, like, Axe asks him directly, are you afraid of Visor 3? And Marco goes, yeah. And Axe is kind of like, well, that's not very, like, that's not the Andalite way. And Marco goes, like, yeah, but have you ever taken him on? Have you ever taken on the hork or the Taxon? And Axe is kind of like, well, no. And then Marco's like, you're terrified. And there's sometimes that it feels like you'd rather die than deal with the terror. And there's nothing you can do about that. And I, I just love that Marco's, like, the hard-hitting part here with this. Like, listen, no matter what, you're going to be horrified and terrified and, like, just scared out of your mind, and there's nothing you can do about it. Frickin' Marco, he's, like, he's so extreme. He's either, like, extremely lighthearted or extremely dark. Yeah. Yep. Man, it's like whiplash. So they're like, to get the parts, we need to go to Radio Shack. Mm-hmm. Yay! <laughs> Good luck with that, guys. They all closed Radio down. Shack. Since when has Radio Shack had anything useful? Well, that's why they closed down. They couldn't stay in business anymore. Yeah, like, every time I went to Radio Shack to find something, they never had it. <laughs> I... What... What did you get at Radio Shack? I don't know. I was looking for, like, a headphone adapter or something, and they're like, oh, we don't have that. I'm like, I can get that at fucking Target. Aren't you supposed to be, like, specialists? What is this? I was so perpetually disappointed by Radio Shack. Yeah, they really should have had that part. That doesn't... Oh, well. Ugh. Anyway. I have have opinions about Radio Shack. (laughs) But they don't exist anymore, so it's... Yeah, they they went out of business. So um, they they come up with this insane plan where they're like, Axe is going to morph his his human mix morph that he got from 
the four kids. And he's going to take the bus with them, go to the mall. They're, like, planning this out. Like, the bus ride's, like, 40 minutes. We get to the mall. We Again. take us half an hour. I, yeah. Why didn't why? they just... Why didn't they just morph birds and fly over there? Why, why do they always have to take the bus? Like, you can morph multiple animals in a day now. Just morph a bird. Ugh. <laughs> I wrote, maybe they should have gotten a taxi for five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a reference to the TV show where Axe does just that on a day that he borrows Jake's jacket and decides to go on a human adventure by himself and finds $10 in the pocket. Oh <laughs> I really, for like the one episode of the TV show we've seen, I'm getting a lot of mileage out of this. Yeah. yeah. It was a good episode. It was a great episode. I'm glad I showed it to you. <laughs> so, um... They get him dressed, and they ask him to please stop playing with sounds, which is one of my favorite axisms, I guess, I'm going to call it, where he just, like, he doesn't have a mouth and he's not used to it, so he just plays with every single thing that he's talking about. So he's like, sounds, owns, owns. Yeah. <laughs> I love he's it. He's like a human reverb. He is. <laughs> he is like a human reverb. And I also love that anytime he says, like, a word that has, like, a, like, any sort of, like, zzzt or brrr in it, he's like, oh my god, this is amazing. Did you hear what I just did? <laughs> so anyways. He's, he's a precious baby. And I he's him. a precious baby. I, I love him, too. I really adore Axe. So, I love them all. <laughs> uh, so I get him dressed and um, tell him to take his shoes out of his pockets and put them on his feet, which is apparently... <laughs> confusing to him <laughs> and they they head to the mall apparently the bus ride was uneventful but the minute they get to the mall they lose him and they're talking about the mall being insanely crowded this was obviously before online shopping was a thing and um there's like old people and people with children at the mall and teenagers trying to look cool and it's just wall-to-wall people and they lose him, and they turn around, see him on the escalator, and they take off after him. And Marco has another one of those moments of, like, you see them start to, like, get a grip on security and stuff. He's like, don't run. They'll think we swipe something. Walk. <laughs> so Marco um, Marco really showed off his uh, analyst, like, strategist skills in this book. Like, just, just little things like that. Like, he's he really has a good grasp of how suspicious they look versus, you know, how, how to act naturally. Like he's got fucking street smarts like about that. He, he does. And he, he has like the street smarts. He also has computer smarts. Like he's the the total package of intelligent person. Oh yeah. He was doing like math. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He was when they were talking about how far X was and he was like calculating out light speed to like crazy. I don't, he lost me. I'm not good at math. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I immediately reject math when it enters my brain area. But not Marco. And, yeah. Anyway. And then they find X at Starbucks, the coffee place, as Jake proceeds to mention. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is another meds. That's what we call medicine moment. I was like, thanks. And we didn't know that Starbucks was the coffee place. Ugh. Yeah. Back in the 90s when it wasn't too big. Although, what I love about this is that he gets a double latte and it was only $2.95. Oh, wow. I know. And she got the 95 cents part of it right. So I was like, damn. 
She's paid it. And he drank the coffee and he loved it. Which I'm like, I don't think kids generally like the taste of coffee. So I that's don't, pretty cool. But he didn't even know what taste was before this moment. Like, it, it's just novel to him. Like, I don't even think he knows a lot of the time whether he likes or doesn't like things. He just knows there's a sensation on his tongue and it's so novel. And then he freaks out about the lid, too, because he puts the lid on it, and he's like, Jake's like, you gotta drink out of the hole, and he's like, so simple, yet so effective! And I'm like, (laughs) they didn't even show him the little green sticks that you put in there so that when you're driving around in your car, you don't spill coffee everywhere! Did they have those in the 90s? I don't know that I went to Starbucks in the 90s. I was a little young. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I didn't like coffee. Yeah, I was I was a little young. I mean, I feel like they had to have them. I can tell you, um, between ninety nine and two thousand, they had them because that was when I would get coffee for my mom all the time in Starbucks, and I'd run in and grab her her order, and then I would grab the little green sticks because we were driving. So I can tell you that year they did, but like mid nineties, I don't know. When were the Starbucks green stick things for the lid invented? Look <laughs> that up, audience. <laughs> Look that up. Oh man, that's <laughs> uh, we we do have uh, the one fact checker that was on Facebook that fact checked us immediately. Yes, thank you for that. So yes, yeah, seriously, thank you. I can't yeah. I can't remember your name because it's not in front of me right now. I think it's like Hannah or something. I don't know. I'm making guesses, but thank you. Yes. Fact check this now for us. When were the green sticks? <laughs> Please help us. We're lazy. <laughs> yeah, we can't use Google ourselves. So can you do it for us? No. <laughs> Anyways, they make it to the Radio Shack, <laughs> and they have every single part except uh, the Z Space transponder. Of course, well, they don't sell it yeah. at Radio Shack. Of course, Radio Shack. Of course, Radio have a Shack. Persistently yep. disappointed. Yeah, seriously. Just because it wasn't invented yet doesn't mean you shouldn't carry it. Yes. And then my favorite part happens, which is um, Axe finishes his coffee, and then he's like, "What? do I have to carry this around with me? And Marco says, no, just throw it away. So Axe literally throws it. <laughs> I just had a flashback. Do you remember in Thor, the movie, where he like drinks the coffee and he's like, I like this drink. And then he slams the glass on the ground and says, another! Like, it was <laughs> oh, completely... Yeah. Yeah, it was completely that moment for me. I was dying laughing. Oh, that's awesome. I totally got caught up in the fact that he hit the salesperson in the head. Yeah. That was the funniest part for me. <laughs> yes. It was it was amazing. Oh, uh, yeah, the whole thing was amazing. And then it leads into the next part, which is one of my favorite parts, which is I'm sure one of your favorite parts too, where he makes it into the food court in the mall and he's like Trying, he's saying to Marco, like, oh, I have this theory that, like, taste and smell are connected. Marco's like, yeah, that's not really a theory. And, and he's like, takes off. And so they're trying to buy the parts and chase after him. He gets in the food court and he's eating, like, pieces of pizza and cinnamon buns. And when he does finally get the cinnamon bun, he's like, this is it. This is the smell. And Marco's like, well, they do make a good sticky bun. <laughs> so I loved that part. And of course, like, Anytime a teenager subteen is in the mall food court doing shady things, mall cops are nearby. I can tell Did you. Did you just call them a subteen? Yeah, it's not what. What do you call them? Oh. Preteens. Yeah. Preteens. Like a, a teenager. <laughs> subteens, preteens. That's what I meant. Subteens. I like that. I'm going to start calling 
like 13 year old sub teens. Perfect. <laughs> you heard it here. Get off first. my lawn, sub teens. <laughs> A sub teen photo shoot. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I did call him a sub-team. What I meant was pre-teen. Yes. My bad. So they get chased Sorry. by cops. They do. They get chased by cops. And uh, so Axe just freaks out and starts demorphing as he's running away. And uh, Jake and Marco are kind of like running with the cops after him while Axe is out front. And uh, his legs are like sliding because they're reversing and changing and growing out of him. And like he's just skidding on the on the linoleum, I assume, floor. And uh, not not having a great time. And I can tell you for any animal with hooves that that linoleum floor is basically just like a sheet of ice. Like there's no traction at all for them. Yeah, so. I saw a video of a deer that had accidentally gotten into a building and it's like sliding all over the damn place, like slamming into walls and stuff. It was okay though. So luckily. Yeah. Yeah, it is really, it's it's not great. It's That's like why that whenever you see Bambi. Oh God, on the pond. But yeah, that's why when yeah. you see little, like, mini ponies that lead around blind people, they have those tiny tennis shoes on their feet. Oh, little Sebastian. Yeah, <laughs> little Sebastian. Aww. Aww. Well, Axe is not as adorable as that because his tail ends up coming out <laughs> and it's got a long scythe-like blade on it. I'm really trying to throw in the Amblite descriptions here. Sorry. I'm trying to be more thorough. <laughs> So Axe's tail comes out, and um, that's when a cop recognizes him as an Andalite. Apparently the rest of the body was not familiar enough, but once the tail is there, he's like, ah, yes, I recognize that alien. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they try to shoot him, and Axe, this is the first time that, like, Axe spills human blood that's, like, very, um, I think, kind of called out in this way. And he just basically, like, whips his tail blade behind him. And takes this guy's gun out of his hand and what we can assume is a few fingers because there's a trail of blood as well. Oh, damn. I just thought he, like, cut his hand, like, the palm of his hand, but I didn't think about the finger thing. Oh, man. That sucks. Yeah, because it would be on the trigger, and so if he hit anything, it would be his finger, and he would just, Uh, yeah. I didn't, oh, man, I didn't even think about that. Oh. Yeah. Good job, Axe. Yep. X really does. He spends a lot of time taking off hands and fingers. Like, there's just got to be, like, a wake of controllers with, like, stump arms. It's, this is not funny. I'm not going to continue on this stream. That was my <laughs> squeezing arm. They took my squeezing arm. Anyway. Uh, that's an obscure reference. That was an obscure reference. <laughs> Anyways, they run out of the mall, across the parking lot, and, um... They're kind of pulling ahead of the cops now because of this whole ruckus with chopping his hand off. And so it's just these guys, like the two sub-teen boys and an alien (laughs) running across the street. And they run into a supermarket. And as they come in there, they're like, they're knocking shelves over. Apparently cans are rolling around behind them. And Marco just starts screaming, there's a bomb, there's a bomb. (laughs) And tries to get people out of the store that way. And uh, that seemed like, something that you probably wouldn't want to say nowadays oh no um and i remember in school they told us that if you're running away from someone and you're trying to get attention you have to yell fire fire um i feel like that's for kidnappings though oh is it yeah because i think and i could be wrong um that what happens is when you yell fire people are more apt to run towards you instead of when you yell help 
And so if somebody's grabbed you and you can scream, you should start yelling fire, fire, so people run towards it. Oh. I think. Makes sense What we'll do, we'll set up a test where we both get kidnapped, and I'll try one way and you try the <laughs> <Okay>. other. Okay. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. <laughs> this sounds completely safe. <laughs> and, like, we have a really good scientific base for this. We have a oh good gosh. control. <laughs> Casey and Alex, the science corner. <laughs> well, at least we're we're doing science, right? Weren't we talking about like taking out little kids and knocking them unconscious to see how quickly they come to <laughs> last week? Um, I believe we were, and then I believe before that we were also talking about setting up a fight between wolves and dogs to see at what point we could break them apart based on their species. We're monsters. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and a morph has turned us into something else. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh no. Anyway, speaking of horrifying things. And uh, turning into something else. <laughs> yes. Um, so they f- see a lobster tank in this store and they're like, we have a plan, guys. They're going to morph lobsters and hang out in the tank until they think everything's clear. So they grab the lobsters, throw one to Axe. He starts morphing. They haul him into the tank when he gets small enough and then they start morphing. And they just start hanging out in the tank. They can't really see anything. Um, This morph is, like, probably one of my favorite early descriptions because it's just like, oh my god, everything's horrifying. And this is the first time that I've been only an exoskeleton with no bones whatsoever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's not great. (laughs) And then within an hour, they get bought, which... That's like a really short amount of time to clean up this whole mess, right? I was thinking that too. Especially yeah. if someone's yelling about a bomb. Like, you know. Right. Like, you we got a bomb threat in store. our school once, and it took, like, a while for them to deem it safe and bring everybody back in. Yeah, you gotta lock down the school for, like, the whole day. Right. Ugh. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. And then. The other part of me, just imagine this really, like, pushy, like, soccer mom with, like, you know, that haircut that's like, let me see your manager coming in. Oh, like, my God. I don't care if there's a bomb. I need my lobsters. <laughs> so, like, I had two, two versions of this in my head. <laughs> oh, my God. Those women actually exist, though. I, I found one in, in the grocery store next to my house earlier. We found year. one in Starbucks, you know, the coffee shop. In, yeah. in college. <laughs> it was horrifying. So this woman came into the Starbucks and she's like, I, I can't even remember her order precisely, but it was like, I need like an iced latte, but I need the ice in one cup, the coffee in another cup, and the creamer in a third cup that's smaller. I need a mug that's empty, and then I need a bagel, and I need a cream cheese and a knife, but it has to be a real knife, and I need it on the side. It cannot touch the plate. And we're like, <laughs> what is this woman talking about? <laughs> and like, oh. but they had to redo it too, like four times. She would not let them get it wrong. <laughs> she was relentless. She wa- And by the time we got to the counter, we're like, we just want smoothies. Let us go. <laughs> oh, my God. That was amazing. Oh, so, yeah, so yes, basically they do that exist. woman. <laughs> they yeah. Do exist. She needed her lobsters. She did. She did need her lobsters. Um, but <laughs> their description of this is that they get put on something sloshy and, like, kind of wet. And Marco goes, oh, ice. And then they just kind of zone out for a while. 
And the reason they kind of come to is that Axe goes, there's only seven minutes left in this morph. And they're all like, oh no, no matter what, we've got to demorph right now. And so Marco starts demorphing and it's right as he's being grabbed out of the ice. And he says he can like feel the steam billowing up around him. And through some crazy chance, the first thing that morphs is his mouth and he's screaming, no, in a tiny oh. lobster voice. Oh my god. It kills me every time. I love it so much. Jesus. I know. And he does like some ninja move where like as he's going into the pot, he like grabs the side of it and he says through like sheer panic of death, he is able to flip himself out of the pot and go scurrying away. And um, as they, as he's scurrying away, he's demorphing. So by the time he hits the floor, he's like a toddler sized lobster human. <laughs> And then, like, of course, Axe is demorphing. And the woman basically just is screaming this whole time. Like, she's, like, <laughs> she just can't stop screaming at this horrifying sight in front of her. And so as they uh, end up demorphing, they're like, this is a dream. You're dreaming this. You are not awake. And she's kind of like, oh, okay. And uh, it's another one of those, like, they basically promise her, like, make her promise not to tell. They then tell her to free the other lobsters and make a quick exit. They need that, that thing for Men in Black. Yes, they do. You know the thing I'm talking about? The <laughs> yep, where they eraser. just flash the, yep. Yep, the they, memory eraser. Yeah, because in the last, like, couple of hours, they've exposed themselves to, like, countless amounts of people. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be a reoccurring thing. Yeah, and it's not a big deal for Axe. Like, Axe can morph in front of people because the whole ruse they're trying to keep up is that they're Andalite bandits. So it's like... right. The more Axe morphs, fine. It's just the kids every time they morph, that's where the problem is. Yeah. So. Yeah, they do a lot of tricky stuff with morphing. That's, um, some of it's really smart, some of it's really dumb. But early on, it's this really dumb stuff that it just, I, my heart is pounding. Because I'm like, they could make her a controller, and even if she doesn't tell a single person, if she's a controller, you're screwed. Yeah, because she saw your faces. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Yeah. So after they exit, it cuts to Marco, who's having a nightmare, and his dad wakes him up, and the first thing Marco says is, Mom. Oh. And I know. And they have Ouch. this moment together of, like, he said something like, are you dreaming about her? And Marco was like, no, it wouldn't be a nightmare if I was having a dream about her. Oh. God, Marco. It was really God. funny a minute ago when you were a lobster screaming through your tiny lips. God, why does he have to do this to us? Um, but I did make a note here. This is actually another part of the story that I adore, is that we have these five characters that are six characters now that they have these insane challenges. Some of them have these insane challenges on the back end. Like, you know, Marco's dealing with his the death of his mom and how his dad's dealing with it, and he has all this responsibility. Tobias comes from a horrible household. But then you have, like, Jake and Rachel, who come from a great house. Like, you know, just a middle-class nice family. And then there's Cassie, who, like, comes from, like, this family that doesn't have any of, like, the dysfunction that even Rachel and Jake have. Like, you know, Rachel's parents are divorced, and that's her thing. And Jake's parents are seemingly fine, but his older brother is a yerk. And then Cassie comes from this wonderful family, but, like, they're, you know, they're not around a lot because they're working all the time. So it's like, it really, it gives you this, these pieces to grasp onto and say, oh, that's like me. That's like my life. I, that happened to yeah. me too. And it could be minor or it could be like 
the other end of the spectrum, like Marco, with his mom dying and his dad being basically, you know, just not there yeah. mentally. So, yeah. I just had to write down how much I loved that. Yeah. I just wrote, Marco's dad equals a picture of a broken heart. Aww. In my notes. I drew a little broken heart. I was like, oh That's no. Really sad. And I always pictured him, I think I've said this before, like, in an earlier episode, but I always pictured Marco's dad looking like Maurice from Beauty and the Beast. Oh, um, I don't know why. And that just makes it, like, even, like, more <laughs> emotional for me, because I'm like, poor old Maurice. And it's Crazy probably not at all. Crazy oh, old no. Maurice. Oh, no. <laughs> so. Oh, God. Yeah. Yikes. Yep. Yep. So, they just, they have a lot to deal with. Every character and some, like Rachel, it's like, my parents are divorced, I don't care. Jake, you know, his biggest thing is his older brother. Cassie loves her family, but that causes other issues with, like, if they get caught, I, I will never be able to do anything. And, you know, it just, it goes on. <laughs> so, the next day, they have a useless distress beacon because they don't have the Z-Space transponder. So... That's uh, really fun for them, and Jake and Marco and Axe are all kind of still dealing with, like, the the earlier days episode. <laughs> and uh, he Marco's kind of talking, like, oh, Jake and Cassie have this moment that pisses me off, and then, not pisses him off, but makes him jealous. And then uh, Tobias mentions something like, you know, you're clear from campers, but there's an eagle. And he does this other, like, flip where he's like, man, Tobias's life is really hard. It's like... I spent all of Tobias's books going, wow, Marco's a real asshole. And Marco's really kind of like, yeah, Tobias, it scares me. But, like, he's kind of worried about it. It's kind of sweet, almost. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, I thought it was funny because it, it's more of that, I think each book is written differently enough that you feel like it's a completely different person. So, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I made a note about that, um, I think, later on. Like, it's interesting to me what kind of things are brought up because... Like, I noticed, particularly in this book, Marco brings up the whole, like, Jake and Cassie thing a lot. Which I felt went kind of unnoticed in some of the other books. But, like, Marco would be especially perceptive to that because Jake is his best friend. Um, So I I just think, I think that's a really strong, a mark of a strong writer to kind of, like, bring the focus into different things that may seem kind of incidental, but, like depending on what character's viewpoint you're seeing it from. Like, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I I know exactly what you're trying to say. And that was, like, later on when they got ghostwriters, I always thought, like, man, if there's a series you're going to get ghostwriters on, this one's perfect for it because you can just literally be like, yo, you're assigned to this character, you're assigned to this character, now go write the books from your own perspective. (laughs) Like, you know. Mm -hmm. That, oh, I thought that would, like, this is just the perfect series to do that on. And I know that's not what they did. That's not how it was handled. Like, I looked into it a little bit the other day, like, just to see who wrote what. And um, that doesn't seem to be what happened. But it's, I don't know. It's a genius move. But, yeah, just the fact that she could do it <laughs> by herself was, it's incredible. So, yeah. Yep. I was fangirling over that. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Um, so Marco, ever the genius, brings up that, uh, if Chapman can communicate with the Yerks, he must have a Z-Space transponder, and everyone's like, 
duh. That was, why didn't we see that? And it's because Marco's real smart. <laughs> and um, on the entire opposite end of the spectrum is Cassie, who then sa- <laughs> says if they're going to go back into Chapman's house, they should morph ants. Did you think right. this was the ant book when we started? Yeah, as soon as she said that, well, no, actually, I thought the ants were much later. I thought they were in, like, book 13 or 14, but um, mm-hmm. that might be the termites, actually. But, yeah, as soon as she said ants, I was like, oh, no, I remember the ants from the limited knowledge I have of these books. Oh, my God. Yep. I that The last read-through I did before we started this, I had the same reaction. I'm like, wow, the ant book was book five. I thought it was way later, but no, this is the ant book. Uh, yep. Gross, gross, <laughs> so, gross. Yeah. So gross. Oh, but anyways, <laughs> so Rachel kind of, she vetoed anything that might get Melissa made into a controller. So the plan that Cassie proposes is that they turn into ants and they burrow into the basement and there's no turning into fluffer McNutter kitty, whatever. <laughs> And uh, there's no putting Melissa Chapman in harm's way. So that's the plan. And the next day at school, Marco is like, I've failed the test. Everything's shitty. This ant plan is stupid. And Jake comes by his locker and is kind of like, hey, 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 we're doing black ants. (laughs) And I was like, well, that was a weird conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And Marco's like, I don't want to be an ant. And Jake's like, well, flea was no big thing. Like, I don't know why Jake has this weird swagger this morning when he's telling Marco about ants. But it's Marco's like, he has like a mysterious smile. And he's kind of like peppy and like, you know, flea was no big thing. But he can tell that Jake's really like horrified <laughs> deep down. Um, and then Marco's retaliation to this is to say to Jake, like, you know, this weekend is two years to the day that that mom died. And, uh, that, that kind of stops him, I think, a little bit. I think this is part of why Jake's acting so weird, because he knows the anniversary is coming up, and, uh, Marco wasn't gonna bring it up, but I think Jake has that knowledge, and, um, Jake's trying to be sensitive to that. A little. But at the same time, they're trying to save the world, so how sensitive can you really be to an anniversary of a death? Because you could die any moment. Every day could be a death anniversary. Right. Oh, sorry, that went really dark. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and then Marco is like, you know, this this two year anniversary is coming up, and I don't want my dad to have to visit two graves, you know. So yeah, like, and ugh. it's it's that of like Marco's like, I don't want my dad to visit two graves, but the same argument convinces him to join in this plot because he goes, so what are Axe's parents feeling then? If this right. is what my dad would feel, what about Axe's parents? And that's what convinces him to join in the stupid ant plan. Yeah. Ugh, the ant plan. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> so anyways, Marco sees Cassie in the hallway and is basically like, he's had this internal dialogue of like, I don't want my dad to visit two graves, but I also don't want Axe's parents to sit wondering what happened to their son forever, knowing their other son's already been killed. Uh, they don't know that. We know that. Um, but uh, he's like, I can't. He's like, I gotta help out. Um, so he says to Cassie, I'll do it. Pass the message to Jake. I'll do it. Ah, so they cut to next to Chapman's house where there's conveniently a house that's for sale. So I was confused about that. Because um, mm-hmm. they, they make to mention that the neighbors had moved out already. Yeah. But that their house was for sale. 
Like, I just, I just wondered how often that happens, where you move out of your house and then put it up for sale. Is that common? It's probably not relevant. Um, well, no, because this was before the housing crisis, right? Like, this was before the bubble popped. Oh. So people could do that, I think. I believe History. this was before then. Yeah, oh. history. Exactly. It's like another one of those weird data things. Like we had to be told Starbucks, the coffee shop, like we wouldn't like who could have predicted that now it's like they're literally across the street from each other. There's dueling Starbucks. And <laughs> yeah, I think this was before the housing crisis. And like it could be any number of things. Maybe they got foreclosed on and it's owned mm-hmm. by the bank now. Or maybe they really just had the money to move into a new house. And because like I know... um, some people, when they get moved for work, they just have to move, and then their house is sold when they're gone. Sure. I don't know. I, I don't you're know. really stretching my realtor knowledge. Although I do know a realtor. Do you want me to, to throw... Much like the CPA thing when we went into the tax return of the Animorphs. Right. <laughs> we, we could go into the real estate business, too. <laughs> yeah, why not? Let's, let's be thorough about this shit. Sure. I'll ask. I'll go ahead and ask how common that is. Why not? And I'm sure it'll depend, too. Like, I know one realtor that works in Chicago, and she's probably like, you know, people get kicked out of their houses all the time. In fact, that did happen um, a couple years ago, and we went into the house. I, she, I don't know why we were there. There was some custom cabinetry or something that we were looking at, and um, they had just abandoned the house, and they literally left, like, belongings everywhere. Like, they left dishes, dirty dishes in the dishwasher, and, like... Oh. They also did things like they left cigarette butts in the sink and things like weird stuff on top of the normal, like we just got out of here as fast as possible. Gotcha. So I don't know. It can happen. But then my other friend who's a realtor for rich people, she's probably like, "Mm, they just move out whenever. This was just the summer home. (laughs) This is our second house. This is our second house. We had no problems leaving it for our third. Jeez. Anyways. (laughs) In any case, they're in the house. They're, they're. Uh, getting ready to head on into Chapman's house. I wrote, this is my note, take a drink every time Tobias has to do a scouting mission in the dark. Because I'm still, like, overtly bitter about that. Yeah, but this is, like, this is start some of the retcon on his vision. He brings up, my eyes aren't much better than yours at night. And if we're being real honest, Tobias, and he's already kind of got, like, a weird thing going on with his eyesight, like, oh, it's so superior. Like, so he probably doesn't want to admit he can't see anything at all. <laughs> yep. Like, his eyes are really bad at night, so he's he's starting to mention it. Okay. Book That's five, we're starting, to, we're starting to retcon a little at book five. Yep. <sighs> so, they morph into ants, and it's terrifying and horrifying. <laughs> Can I just preface this? That yeah. I was terrified of ants in preschool. I recall being curled up on a bench outside, sobbing because there were ants on the ground and I was just absolutely terrified of them. And I think I was completely justified because this shit is fucked up. Oh, you were totally justified. Were you, was it because of this book or was it like a different reason you were terrified of ants? I mean, it was a different reason I was like five, but um, I, I don't know. I just didn't like them crawling on the ground and they could crawl up onto my body and I just didn't like it. You know, I've never been a huge fan of bugs. I've gotten over that somewhat. But I, for some reason, as a kid, I was terrified of ants. And, uh, so when I was reading about them turning into ants, I was like, ha! I knew I had a right to be scared. 
Well, <laughs> fuckers. Yeah. I was terrified of beetles because of the mummy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I can relate to this just being, like, horrified. But also, like, whenever you'd sit on the ground, it would be, like, that thing, like, ooh, are they crawling on me? I swear I feel like a twitch. Like, ugh. I yeah, remember that. And then they usually thing. were. Yeah, they, they usually were. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they, like, take over your house. Like, you'll come home and there'll be a bunch of ants swarming all over, like, your cat food. And I'm just like, really? You little shits? Stay outside. And isn't it an ant, like a type of ant that has the most painful bite of any insect in the animal kingdom? It, yeah, I've heard that. Um, and like fire ants are the main reason I will not move to Texas ever in my life. Sorry, no offense to people who live in Texas and actually have to deal with fire ants, but holy shit, no thank you. Um, holy, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. from... From a scientific standpoint, ants are pretty amazing. Like, they can do some really crazy shit. And, like, they can, like, form, like, rafts out of their bodies and, like, float on rivers. That's what they were doing during one of the the hurricanes that hit Texas. Mm -hmm. Like, I've seen videos of that. And, like, they can build crazy shit and they can eat things whole. But, holy shit. (laughs) Ah! Yeah, no... No. We're not doing ants. No. Never. <laughs> no. Can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not an ant person. I mean, I nope. never, like, burn them with microscopes or anything, but... Or microscopes with uh, magnifying <laughs> glasses, but I... Yeah, I'm not an ant person. And there's very few things. Like, I... I love spiders. I love a lot of insects. Even my, like, weird creepy crawlies in my basement. I'm like, oh, don't, don't hurt those guys. We like them. But... Ants and silverfish. Not cool. Mm -mm. No. No. Yeah. And I didn't even know what silverfish were until you introduced me to them. So thank you for that. Yes. I had no clue until you pointed one out to me in the common area at college. And I was like, well, this is going to be my nightmares forever now. Oh, God. I can't do (laughs) earwigs. Earwigs are nasty. They don't bother me that much. Oh, but they look so solid. And then they kind of like curl their bodies up a little oh my god no 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 oh god i'm getting sick just thinking about it <laughs> okay let's move on let's no, move on this is to, gonna get better them describing how horrifying it is to be an ant and to lose all sense of your individuality and and oh my god oh but even before that when they're talking about like their bodies like cassie's body pinching in the middle and then her like butt growing to the size of a watermelon like this yeah. morph is horrifying from start to finish yeah <laughs> just not good um and then yeah once they're there and like they said their skin just like turns black and crisps like they were suddenly burnt by a fire and um once the animal mind kicks in there's as you said zero sense of self <laughs> they are mindless minions and they cannot control their this morph at all they they just start going after this dead beetle and uh marcos he he keeps pointing out that there's like enemies are nearby enemies are nearby and mm-hmm. That just makes this whole thing so much creepier to me. Like, reading it, I, I like, it might be because I knew it was going to come next, so I started getting those, like, ooh, god, this is going to be bad, but it, it just, yeah, it's creepy. So, uh, the Tobias is, like, screaming at them, like, get control, get control, morph out, just stop this, like, oh my god. And the first one to get control is Marco, who just screams, and he goes, later, Tobias said I scared the crap out of him. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
And like one by one, they're able to kind of snap out of it. And even Axe, who is um, at this point, we know him as like trying to follow the Andalite honor code and being very stoic and, and composed at all times. Even he is like, what is this morph? This is horrible. Why? Why is this a thing on your planet? Right. <laughs> it's like, well, we can't answer for that axe because evolution it's not our faults <laughs> so um they do come out of it and they kind of have this argument where they're like morph out immediately we don't have to do this and it then they're like you know what we have everything set up right now we're already ants let's just do this mm-hmm. um and so they they do they start uh, going across the lawn and they make it into the tunnel system in the next yard over which is the chapman's and uh they they make it into the basement with a little the only issue they have they run into one ant rachel's leading the way and she runs into him and the ant scurries off and she it scared her but she's like okay we're in the tunnels and then we can sense some air so cassie's like go that way they make it into chapman's basement um and marco volunteers for once to be the first to demorph because he was so horrified (laughs) so he demorphs um they flick the lights to let the others know it's safe to demorph and then we get like some some really cool insight into like andalite and like they're they're spying on the yerks which i thought was really cool so they go into his basement they find the the mini computer which marco's kind of looking around for like whatever it is that it's gonna be and uh he finds what he thinks is a axe finds it and it's what marco thought was a paperweight but it's really a computer and there's this funny moment where, like, he brings up the nav and Marco starts clicking through folders and Axe is like, you know how to use a computer? And Marco's like, uh, yeah, it's just advanced, but it's still a computer. Um, and then they see a notice that says Visor 1's in town. And we also find out there's 47 Visors. Why 47? I don't know. I Like, when I was telling you earlier, I thought it went through the hundreds. So I don't know why I thought that from a different book um but i don't know why there's only 47 now you think it would be a nice round number or like like 50 yeah or a significant number like 42 or (laughs) yeah but there's not there's 47 all right yeah and plus this is just the andalite what they think like there could be way more oh yeah their intel could be their intel could be bad yeah and i maybe i don't know We'll have to get to a different book to get more sure of this. <laughs> um, cool. Yep. So they see the the announcement that there is going to be Visor 1 in town. So they kind of bring that up. Um, Axe reads it off of one of the notices. And then he they grab the transponder out of it. Uh, and they start to take it back. And the ants, they put it by like the crack in the wall where they climbed in. They morph back to ants. And they're like, how are we going to carry this thing? And it turns out with all of them there... Um, moving it they can carry it and then when they're in the tunnels they send some out front to clear rocks away and then the others pushing from behind and they're like getting through this tunnel with this thing they're yeah you know everything's going swimmingly and then suddenly there's ants everywhere attacking them from every angle like tearing their limbs off (sighs) biting them and stinging them and it's just oh my god yeah, and trying to pincer them in half. That's Marco said they were trying to hold him down so they could tear him in half. Yikes. Yeah, so their plan here is just demorph, which solid call, guys. <laughs> so yeah. they just start demorphing in the ground, and Marco said, like, it, there's a ton of pressure on him, and then I just kind of let go, and he said he felt like he was coming out of some sort of, like, 
different, like, buried in the ground like a zombie apocalypse movie. Like, his hand comes out the top, and then finally the rest of him comes up, and I liked that description. I'm very glad that the dirt was soft enough that they could do that, and that it wasn't, like, limestone or some shit. Oh, God. That was very, very fortunate. It could have gone very badly for them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so luckily, that whole thing was emotionally scarring. Yeah. And luckily they made it out of there, but, you know, that's not great. Um, and then as they're they're morphing back to humans, like, once they're kind of back and taking a breather, Rachel starts stomping the, the ground to make it level, and then Marco mm-hmm. does slip up and says, once Rachel stops stomping the ants, I mean the ground. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then this is the part that even when all of this has kind of like faded away and I kind of forget like how bad this attack was, the part that sticks with me is that when Marco was showering later that night, he finds an ant head still attached to his side. That's so fucked up! Yeah! That's all of our horrifying nightmares right there. Oh, God. Yeah. God, I feel like K.A. Applegate had to go to some really dark places to write some of this. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, uh, you were around for when we recorded book three, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These are 12-year-old kids. Oh, my God. They, they're children. But the fact that they're children, I think, is what makes yeah. them resilient to some of this. Yep. Because, well, like, and I, then, oh. and then, like, the next day at school, Marco addresses at some point, he's like, okay, everybody was totally freaked out by that situation. Like, you can see it on everyone's face. Like, we're gonna need serious frickin' therapy before this thing is over. Like, he addresses openly that one of them is gonna snap and go absolutely insane. And we're in book five, and, oh man. Yeah, they have a long way to go. And, yeah. And it, I mean, they, they do break, every part of this is them breaking. Like, every mm-hmm. book we get to, even when you read the first book, I think I I think I said at some point during that that Jake was my favorite Jake at that point because he hadn't been broken even a little bit yet. And on his first mission, he gets Tobias stuck. I mean, he didn't do it, but like he thinks that he got Tobias stuck as a hawk. He thinks it's his fault as the the leader. Like every book is about breaking them just a little more, a little more and finding out how far they can go to save everyone. Like, how much yeah. can you break somebody to save the rest of the world? Yeah. Ay-ay-ay. And Marco kind of brings it home for us here, too, talking about his dad. He's like, that's what it took for my dad to snap. Like, what's it going to take for me? My yeah. dad snapped because my mom died. And now he's, like, not the same person he was before. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! So the, they're mechanical the next day, as you said, at school. They're They're very morose and quiet so Rachel's she ends up Marco ends up sitting near Rachel just by happenstance and Rachel's mechanically eating when this girl named Jessica who's described as a kind of girl that would go looking for a fight (laughs) um, runs into Rachel and Rachel just goes berserk and grabs her and pushes her onto a lunchroom table there's plates and food flying and just starts threatening her And Marco looks around, sees he's the closest one to the chaos, and so he jumps in the middle to intervene, and he gets punched in the face by Jessica. And since there's... (laughs) He should have just thrown a blanket over her. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. 
So because they started a fight in the cafeteria, they're taken to see Chapman. And for some reason, Chapman just goes after Rachel. Like, it's probably, like, reading this with the, the adult lens on it, it's probably because he knew Rachel. So he had personal investment in her, whereas Jessica and Marco, he doesn't personally know. So it's like, yeah. you know, ugh, who cares? And so yeah. he starts going after Rachel and he says she has this really dangerous look in her eye. Like she might just like blurt out because you're a controller and I broke into your house or something like that. So Marco goes, it, it's my fault. It was all my fault. They're, they're fighting over me because they both <laughs> love me. God they both damn it, Marco. <laughs> God damn it, Marco. Oh. It's like... I was like, really? I mean, this is this is Marco right here. 30 I seconds mean, ago, we were talking about how freaking horrific it was and how each one of these characters is going to break forever, and now it's like, they're fighting over me because they love me. Oh my god. <laughs> I love Marco so much. God. <laughs> yeah. And so that's when Rachel kind of starts, she starts, like, laughing a little bit. He can tell that he's gotten Rachel kind of out of her funk. Meanwhile, Jessica's like, you little toad, I would never like you, blah, blah, blah. Gross, boys have cooties. Yeah, I want your cooties. Yep. And this is, this is that camaraderie again that I I know I, I keep harping on the same notes in every recording but like rachel's like don't stop joking marco we need it as they're walking away she's like don't ever stop doing this don't ever stop being like this and it's like all these kids are like talking about how like oh we're not that close or like yeah rachel's jake's cousin or she's she's a babe but she's totally psycho but like they are willing to go to bat for each other every Mm. time and it's 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 just great i mean it's it's some of the the parts that oh it's just such a good team I just love it so much. Like you have to have that chemistry to make a good team, and these kids just have it. Mm-hmm. So I I just get excited about that. <laughs> so Rachel says, "Don't ever stop joking, because otherwise we'll all go psycho." So, yay, go Marco! <laughs> Diffusing yeah. the situation. Hmm. So kids meet up with Axe the next day, who has this distress beacon ready to go. And um, they're deciding on where to do it because they are already, again, contingency plans. If this plan doesn't go according to how we've planned it, which I think they learned after the whole getting stuck in the reservoir thing. Um, if it doesn't go to plan, what can we do? And so they're making sure it's far away from like where they can keep Axe and where their families are and where, you know, why would it be at Cassie's farm and all that sort of stuff. So awesome. Um, Tobias knows of a quarry. Cool. Um, and then Axe is going to get a Northern Harrier, which is awesome. Yay. Yay. Um, and this leads to, you know, we're having kind of a fun, lighthearted, like, oh, it's all ready to go. Yay. And Jake and Marco walk out together and they're joking and they're having a good time and arguing about Batman versus Superman and all that great stuff. And then Jake goes, okay, so what's up for real? And, um, Marco immediately just goes, all right after today i'm out this is my last mission i'm done and jake goes all right he's it's like again jake's grown as a leader so much like it's this moment where he's like all right if you're out you're out you know i can't marco's like i can't have my dad visiting two graves and and jake's like you can't and marco's like i feel like i've done enough and jake's like you've done more than enough you've done a thousand times more than enough and it's i just love this interaction (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's really mature for twelve year olds to have like a discussion like that. Yeah, um, and I, I think Marco already. I mean, he's already super mature because he's had to deal with a lot. But like seeing Jake take up that mantle as well is is really cool. Yeah. Yep. I'm excited. <laughs> and then after having this extremely depressing moment, we cut back to them flying and having fun. And Marco talking about how he's going to miss it. <laughs> because when he's out, he is fully out. And mm-hmm. um, I just want to throw in a little note here that that is something that comes up like a, um, a kind of theme that comes up again. When you're in, you're fully in. When you're out, you're fully out. And I, I like that all or nothing mentality. And my my inner Rachel comes out all or nothing. <laughs> you're good or you're bad. <laughs> oh. But yeah, so they're they're flying around. They're having kind of a fun moment where Axe is going, my eyes are amazing. This is great. And Tobias is like, yeah, mine are a little better than yours. And Axe is like, I don't see how that's possible. <laughs> so that's fun. And that's all the fun we'll be having today. <laughs> yep. One lighthearted moment in a pit of despair. Yep. Yep, pretty much. Uh, so so they, they, they're... Take it. Take it, Casey. So they reach the quarry, and they demorph. And then they're like, okay, we're gonna sit here and do the distress beacon thing. And then we're gonna just, like, morph into our battle morphs and just wait to ambush them. And I was really excited, because this is the first time we see uh, Cassie's battle morph. Um, so, like, Jake does a tiger, Marco's a gorilla... Uh, Rachel's the elephant, of course, and uh, Cassie does her wolf morph, and, you know, me, who has discussed a wolf as a good battle morph option, I was kind of like, yeah, boy! <laughs> so, I was a little geeked about that. That actually, that leads in nicely to my question for you here. What do you think Cassie's original battle morph was that she got from the zoo? Oh, right. Hmm. Oh god, I don't know. Wait, do we find out later? No, no. Wolf is her battle morph. That's it. Oh, really? It's pure speculation on our part. Oh my god. Um, That's a good question. Yeah. That's why I'm asking you. Anteater. Anteater. Because fuck ants. (laughs) Because fuck ants. (laughs) Alright, alright. No, no, no. I, I actually don't know, but I just... I like anteaters. And I was just thinking about them. Who doesn't? how great they are. <laughs> how great they are. I, yeah. See, it's never brought up, and, like, there's never a moment that she has a morph that, like, oh, yeah, this is in my repertoire, but from a long time ago. Like, there's never a moment like that, but I feel like she would do something like porcupine. I don't know. I don't know either. That's interesting that they never bring that up. Yeah, I I thought so too. Um, well, and the other thing about yeah. Cassie is that I feel like if I were Cassie, I would want all the morphs because I would want to be in all the animal minds. You know, like if you're that much of an enthusiast about animals, like think of everything you could learn. Yeah, and but I would just like go through and touch all the animals. How would that them work with her, though? Because she's so, like, what if they're too intelligent? Like, where would she draw the oh. line as she collected morphs? Yeah, that's true. Hmm. I don't know. But that like, was, like, specifically dolphins, right? 
Well, it was, and dolphins and, and whales, but, and they granted her permission, basically, is what happened. Um, sure. But, like, what about parrots, or, God, even, like, you know, cows are really smart, or, you know, like, there's, I don't know, like, where you draw the line there. And, of course, we're finding out, like, different intelligence levels every single day, but, yeah, it's it's just interesting to think about. But I also feel like she never brought that up with anything but the dolphins, you know? Like, she had no qualms about acquiring a squirrel or a wolf, or at least that we see. Yeah. But I wonder if she'd start to struggle with that, like, as she collected more morphs. Oh, maybe. I mean, I don't don't know. It's... (laughs) At at some point, you just can't bring it up. And, like, she... Very clearly, they're, like, you know... They're worried about it, but they can't worry about it, you know? Like, now Mm -hmm. is not the time. (laughs) Right. Got a a world to save. Exactly. And you have to go to extreme lengths to to save the world. Okay, we got half an hour to finish this book. All right. (laughs) So, um, it's, I think, going to be easy because it goes really freaking fast from here on out. Uh, And that is, they they light up the distress beacon. They're waiting in their battle morse for an ambush, which, by the way, this is, like, really exciting that they're starting to kind of, like, do the the uh, offense instead of just defense. So, mm-hmm. yay! Um, and the, the bug fighter comes in, it lands, the hork comes out, they take him down, and Marco goes, this is too easy, but not in the way like, oh, hope well, that was just too easy. It's more like, oh, shit, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, as this happens, of course, Drake and Beam start firing all around them. They're completely trapped. They, they are stuck because they're surrounded all the way around by bug fighters, by Horkbisher, by Taxons, completely ambushed in this quarry. That distress beacon that Axe lit up was an old code. And Fizzer 3's like, what, do you think we never change our codes? And it's like, ah, oh, Axe, if you weren't just an Arsith, you would have gotten this. <laughs> but he didn't. He lit up an old code, and that completely let them know that they, they were there, and they were the Andalite Bandalites. <laughs> yay <laughs> so they're trapped and uh, they're like Tobias get out of here and Tobias is like uh, we're in a quarry I, there's no headwind I won't even get out of here before they fry me and so they're all like alright well let's see what happens next <laughs> and um, Marco starts talking about how Visitor 3 looks like Axe and Elfangor but the feeling is totally different it's this feeling of pure evil so that's I, oh, I love that description I love how intense it gets um, and then Axe goes a little nuts because Visor 3 is there. And this is only his second time interacting with Visor 3. And the last time they were just running for their lives. Right. And uh, so Axe starts to, to argue with him. And Jake orders him to be quiet. They're like, we can't give him anything. He can't, like, anything you say, you could slip up and get us caught. Yeah, don't talk um, Yeah, exactly. And Visor 3 goes on about how much he loves the battle morphs and all the flora and fauna. Well, fauna, not so much flora, on Earth. And, uh, and he, how... he mentions again how much he loves cats. He's oh, like yeah. a total cat enthusiast. He really is. He's like, especially you, Jake. Mm. <laughs> especially that tiger especially... cat thing. Yeah. Um, yep. And so he was going to demand that they demorph from their battle morphs, but because this repertoire of animals is so impressive he wants them to stay in morph and he's going to take them to show Visor 1 that he caught them um, 
And the way he says Visor 1 lets onto the group that Visor 1 and Visor 3 are not good buddies at all. Right. So, yeah. So they're surrounded by the Horkbizur. They order them into the ship. And Rachel's like, I won't fit. And then the door just grows so she can walk in. <laughs> and um, Marco goes dark again. He goes into this whole thing about how, oh, this is great. This is you know, I'm going to die and my dad's going to have to go to two graves. And just like my mom, he won't accept it for a while. And then just like my mom, there's not going to be a body just like my mom. This is what we call foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) Can anyone tell me what foreshadowing is? (laughs) It's this. Exhibit A. But I won't tell you now because this is only foreshadowing. So they're trapped in this windowless cube, and they're kind of half-heartedly talking about how to escape. Like, oh, can we go bugs? Can we get out of here? Marco says ants, and Cassie's like, I thought you hated that morph as much as me. And Marco's like, I did. I'm just desperate. So they're, they're talking about that, and then a porthole opens up in the side of this cube, and they get this beautiful glimpse of Earth. Like, they're in space, and they can see the whole world, and they have this moment of like, ah, that's our planet, and... We failed. I mean, it's our planet for a while, but this is kind of over now. So that's wonderful. And uh, then they start to turn, and the real thing that they were trying to show them pops up, and that's the mothership. <laughs> so we get to see the Yerk's mothership, which is, I the description to me sounded like some sort of jellyfish. Yeah, I got that too. Yeah. It's like a so, big kind of head thing with some long tubies coming down. Yeah, and they mention, like, oh, the Kendrona ray is in one of the tentacles or something like that. And I just, I could not picture that part of it. And then Axel is like, oh, there must be a Kendrona on Earth. And they're like, Axe, where have you been? We already knew that. The answer is at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> so uh, they see this giant ship, and Axe is telling them, like, this is supposed to terrify us. He's showing us this because he wants us to lose hope. And uh, they've, they're kind of already there. They, the ship doesn't really affect them that much. Like, they see it, they're kind of like, yeah, okay, but, like, we're already pretty much dead, so great. Um, and then I had another moment here where Marco mentions that Cassie and Jake are, are sharing this moment together. And, um, of course, because it's from Marco's perspective, we don't know. But I bet there's a dialogue going on between Rachel and Tobias, too, that we just didn't hear. Yeah. I was wondering about that. I want to know. Oh my god. Because, like, in previous books, like, Rachel and Tobias do have a moment where Tobias was like, Rachel, I've always wanted to tell you. And she's like, I already knew. Yeah. And then, like, you know, I think Jake and Cassie had that at some point, too. So, like, do they just tell them, tell each other that they love each other, like, right before they're always about to die? Like, oh my god. Yep. Ugh. That just fucked me up a little bit. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, this will mess you up a little more. Marco is mad at them because he doesn't have anyone to say that to. He's the fifth wheel. Yeah, he's the fifth wheel. Like, he doesn't have anybody to say this to, so he kind of, like, turns to Axe and... and, Or Axe says to him, do humans fear death? And Marco's like, yeah, we're not crazy about it. What about Andalites? And Axe is like, we're not crazy about it either. And it's this moment of, like, they're going down together and acts like in in this moment is kind of like giving back a little like oh i'm i'm taking on like your how you would talk like i'm just giving back a little bit so yeah 
I I love that. So it, I just the camaraderie even now, like even like Axe coming into the group, you can tell he's like a good fit right away, and it, I I just love it. But yeah, yeah, they tell each other they love each other before they they die, and then they never. I mean, what can you do? <laughs> when so a whole bunch of troops run in, and they're. There's a little bit of chit-chat about different colors of them. Each visitor has a different army, and they have a different uniform. And so um, Axe is giving us a little more backstory on, like, you know, who's doing what and who's red versus gold and, and that sort of stuff. And um, we we realize that it's Visor 3 and Visor 1's armies interacting, and they don't like each other. And then we see Visor 1 walk in, and it's Marco's mom. No! Yes. I wrote what the fuck in all caps. Yeah. And that's, oh, this is why when we were talking back in book one or two and you were asking about how Marco's mom died, I was sitting here rubbing my little hands together. (laughs) God. Yes. And when you were asking about like, oh, who's Visor 1? What about Visor 2? I was like, oh, Oh. I would love to tell you that right now. Just you wait. Just oh, you wait. Oh. I know it's Marco's mom who's it was a total Darth Vader moment. Oh. It's a total Darth Vader moment, except then we get the internal dialogue where he's like he's kind of numb for a moment, and you get that because the only dialogue on this page for a little bit, other than Marco just kind of like trying to take it in, is Jake going, "Don't say anything. Don't be suspicious. That's not her. That's not your mom. Your mom is dead. That's not her." Oh and my God. Marco's just like, this is my mom who's been dead for two years. This is almost the anniversary of her death, and she's standing in front of me right now. Oh, my God. God! Gut punches! Gut punches. I, I have chills. No. <laughs> so, um, we get this, like, onslaught of information here, just from the, the conversations between Visor 1 and Visor 3. And Marco's, like, he's having these internal moments of, when? When did she become a controller? When did this happen? Was she the one taking me shopping for school clothes? Was she the one kissing me goodnight? Was she the one where for my nightmares? When my mom and dad were making out like teenagers, was that her? Was that the Yerk? And uh, then Visor 1 starts talking to Visor 3, and we find out that this whole invasion was started by Visor 1. Because she mentions when uh, Visor 3 said the humanoid creature, you seem to have startled him because Marco sat down very quickly as in his gorilla morph visor one replies that's a gorilla you should know this if you're supposed to be taking over this invasion and it goes from marco reeling and having this horrible internal thing to finding out that visor one was the yerk that snuck in started this covert operation she handed it over to visor three and she thinks he's totally incompetent which is true (laughs) oh And, uh, Casey, I have a question for you now. Yes. So, part of the problem here is that Visor 3 can only learn from what other people tell him because he's not willing to give up his Andalite host body morph, for obvious reasons. But that means that he can't know anything about the planet he's invading firsthand, so he'll never integrate well and he will never be able to kind of take on the knowledge that he would need to for a covert invasion so, if you were in this situation as Visor 3, what would you do? Ooh. That's 
Holy shit. I don't even know. Right? Oh my god. Wow. That's just like the depth of his character just like increased tenfold in my brain. Because like, <laughs> he wants this thing. He wants to be the head honcho, but he'd have to give up his Andalite body, which, oh my gosh. And that's oh, the, his man. Andalite body is the only reason he's Visor 3. He, he is the Yurk oh that captured an Andalite that did the thing that no other Yurk has ever done. And it's How the could you give that up? The, yeah, and it's the Andalites who are the arch nemesis of the Yurks, which is even right. more impressive. And oh my god, my mind just exploded. But he's never going to catch these Andalites, which we know are children, but are Andalites to him, that have integrated with this planet because he will never have the knowledge to, to, to do that. Damn. I know. I'm shook. I'm shook. <laughs> I'm just shook. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. You're so hip. You know things like, I'm shook. <laughs> I don't think people say that anymore, though. It's like dabbing. They don't do it anymore. Oh, but no. anyway. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so that was... Uh, I, Holy I just, crap. I know. Damn. <laughs> it, I was thinking of that, and I, I was like, man, he's in such a tough spot. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> so, well, that's after that... Yeah, that's, that's after that fun romp. We uh, kind of come back into Marco and his mind, and um, he realizes that nobody but Jake recognizes that that's his mom, and he just says to Jake, do not tell anyone. Do not. Um, and then we kind of bounce back to Visitor 3, who has this moment where he goes, why is only one of you talking to me, the child of the group? Why does everyone stay in Morph? And he makes these mistakes where he's like, I don't want anyone else to have the Andalite powers, so he's not going to infest them. So they could be infested and converted right at this moment with no effort on his part, but he doesn't want to give up the advantage that he has, being the mm. only Andalite. Two, uh -uh. he shrugs off this observation of, why are you all staying in Morph, and why is the child talking to me without questioning it? And then three, sends them away to a holding cell, Without doing it himself. <laughs> yeah. You fool! You fool, Visitor 3! You fool! Oh, my God. So, as they're marching on the way to the cell, Marco has this resurgence, where it's almost like seeing his mom has made him realize that there, there's a way out of everything. Like, there really is a way out. So he's going to fight. And he's like, no matter what happens, let's go out in a blaze of glory. And this is so absurd coming from Marco, who up until this moment, because I mean, we know that's his mom and Jake knows that's his mom. But like the other Animorphs have no idea. And he's suddenly like, we got to fight. We, we, I got a fortune cookie once and it said, fall down seven times, get up eight. And we can't go down without a fight. So because of a fortune cookie... They're going to destroy everyone. Yay! It's legit. <laughs> legit. I mean, I've gotten some good fortunes before, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so they come up with this insanely harebrained scheme uh, where they're going to morph into bugs, get out of there, morph back to battle morphs, and just do as much damage as they possibly can before they're killed. And they're I mean, like, that's kind of what they did in book three, too. That was kind of their yeah. plan. Yeah, and that's... When you're backed into a corner, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Um, and Tobias is like, Jake says, well, we 
we'd have to leave Tobias. And Tobias immediately goes, absolutely, leave me. I would feel better knowing that you guys are out there causing damage while I am stuck here. And <sighs> Tobias, you kill me, man. You kill me in my heart. <laughs> he just, he's so, like, he just, he's willing to give up so much all the time. I love him. So <laughs> he's he's ready to, to send them out and just stay back as a hawk in the holding cell, which is really freaking depressing. So right as they're about to start this, like, let's demorph morph to ants, this crazy death charge, the door opens and they reveal Vizor One soldiers. And there's a hork there that can speak flawless English. Just another thing that Vizor One has that Vizor Three has never quite been able to get. So... That's awesome. Uh, and so <laughs> this hork is kind of like, here's your escape route. Here's how you're getting out. There's a pod down here that's going to jettison you back to Earth. Once you get there, it'll land in the same spot you're taken from and then explode. Get out. Anything on your way out from here, you're on your own. But we've cleared the way. So that's just crazy. And they're like, what is this hork doing? This is a trap. Then they realize this is politics. Visor 1's trying to make Visor 3 look really bad. She's trying to get him taken off the invasion of Earth. Oh, this is so epic. <laughs> I just get so excited by this sort of fighting in here. So uh, they go charging out of the doors, of course, because they're all ready to go down fighting anyways. And now they have a shot at living and they're still willing to go down fighting. So they charge down the hallway, Rachel in front, and it's just she's basically like going along skimming the edges of the corridors and just taking out everybody in front of her and they're like you know falling down getting crushed the ones behind them are jumping over them and then this part i absolutely loved is that rachel while she's leading the charge is like she's already crushing people and then axe announces as they hit this like band of visitor three soldiers battle and it's supposed to be announced like he's saying party <laughs> so i got really excited by that and i wrote casey give me your best impression of this oh god oh <laughs> uh, wait are you, are you so you're picturing like a frat boy be like battle yes oh, exactly <laughs> i knew you wouldn't let me down yes <laughs> so they're fighting to get to the escape pod and they hit the drop shaft, and it's just awesome because you get this whole glimpse of alien technology because what they have to do to move between floors is just give simple thought-speak commands. And this is like, how like how does that even work? Like, the technology behind this just blows my mind. They Because they can think, like, 12 floors down instead of, like, oh, 12 floors down is floor 34, so I have to know 34 versus what. Well. Like... This just blew my mind, the technology that went in behind this. <laughs> yeah, it's very, like, seamless. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's if they intuitive. could, like, get smartphones like this. <gasps> so, I got geeked by the tech. I mean, I loved it. But they get into the drop shaft, and they're going down, and uh, they're fighting as they go down. And there's a human controller that, like, just apparently is standing there looking stupefied because he's seeing, like, an elephant and then a gorilla and then a tiger <laughs> drop past it was such him. a funny visual. Yeah, I know. I loved it. Um, and then there is a, a hork dropping in behind them that's going to try and come get him. And Tobias breaks his eyes out, as is his signature move. Classic. Classic. 
So, and plus he can kind of control his drops in the shaft because he is a bird. So he was able to get it. He's a bird. So they get down there and Rachel starts demorphing as they're running towards the pod because that's the point where she's just too big. And they said, you'll have to demorph. There's nothing we can do. Um, and as she's turning into this massive human and elephant, she kind of stops at one point and Marco just picks her up and keeps running until they're in the pod and they launch out. And as they're going away from the spacecraft, they have this like, not giddy moment, but like they realize they're free (laughs) and they're looking back at it. And Marco is like, I'm in this fight. I'm in this fight for my mom and someday I'm going to get her back someday, somehow, my mom is still alive. But she's uh, a controller! <laughs> yeah! Well, I feel like that's gonna further solidify, like, Marco and Jake's, like, friendship. Because they're both kind of in the same position. They have a family member, a loved one, that is a controller. Um, whereas, I'm interested to see in the future if uh, Marco and Visser One ever kind of come into contact with each other and if they have a moment of like Marco's mom kind of goes oh shit it's Marco and has kind of like a reaction to I don't know maybe not because I would be giving away the game I'm not saying anything I know know. (laughs) yeah no it's it it does I mean it could put them in the same, like they understand each other's position better now, but it could also put them at odds too, because they might have different reactions to the same stimuli. And then they're, you know, because Jake is a very different person than Marco, even though they're friends, Marco's going to do whatever computes the best. Almost. He's kind of like data to Picard, like whatever the computation is, is what Marco's going to do. And Jake's more like, He's the leader. He's intuitive. He'll he'll have a different answer to the same question. And neither of them is wrong. It's just a different answer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I like it. Um, then we end on kind of a happy note, question mark. Yeah. Um, Marco and his dad are visiting his mom's gravesite. And Marco talks about how he's crying and... How he doesn't think people could really picture him crying, but it happens. Uh, And his dad has this moment with him where he's kind of like, I haven't been a very good father to you. And there's this really, to me, kind of like heartbreaking moment, but I also like relate to it, where Marco just doesn't say anything because he hasn't been a good father to him. Yeah, so you can't affirm or deny a statement like that. Exactly. And he's not going to, like, reassure him when he's been a terrible father, so he's he just stays silent. Uh, and then his dad says that he reached out to his old boss to see if he could get a job, and uh, that, I mean, it's finally time for him to start moving on, because his mom would be so disappointed in him if he could see what had become of them and how he's treating Marco. And that kind of, that's what kind of gets to Marco. And so he finds out that, you know, he... His dad says, oh, I have that the job that my old boss gave it to me, and I'll just have to see if I can remember to turn on a computer. That's when Marco goes, you were never good at computers. And they kind of have that banter back and forth, and that's, yeah. that's how it ends. It's sweet and sad. Yeah, it is it is sweet and sad. It's, like, it's really sweet in the fact that Marco's dad is finally kind of going to be there for him. 
But at the same time, they're standing at an empty grave with Marco's dad saying, your mom, who who's gone, who's out of our lives, we'll never get her back. And it's time that we accepted that and grew up a little bit. Like, talking about himself, not Marco. Grew up a little bit, moved on. And then Marco's standing at the empty gravesite going, my mom's alive, but she's a controller. And I, I might, you know... I have to get her back, but I don't know how. They kind of switched positions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't think of that. But they totally do. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Okay, Applegate. Why are you doing this to me? God, this was such a book of revelations to us. (laughs) Damn. Oh, my God. That's... I... I don't know how I missed that, but yeah, that's totally true. They totally switch, switch logics there. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just glad I could blow your mind about Visor 3 earlier. (laughs) Oh my God, you totally did. That that fucked me up a little bit. This whole book fucked me up a little bit. Like, in the Tobias book, we had that, like, moment where it was just this oppressive, destructive self-hatred thing that took us to such a dark place and in this book we just got yo-yoed back and forth between that and funny that and funny and it like you come off reading this and you feel pretty good like when I was done I was like that was a good book I appreciated that and then when we were talking through it again I'm like man that was a messed up book yep oh my god why is she so good at writing I don't know (laughs) oh Oh, yay, yay. And next we have a Jake book. Oh, yeah. Why do I keep thinking it's an Axe book? Uh, Because that would make sense, like, numerically, yeah. team member-wise, but no, yeah. it's going to be Jake, Rachel, and then Axe. Yep, yep. Yep, and the next one is going to mess you up even worse. Fuck, really? I was um, hoping it would yeah. be, like, a super sad book, then a super happy book, then a super sad book. Not, like, a super happy book, but a happier book. Like, I feel like, like, the, like, the Cassie book was, you know, it ended on a high note. Um. Yeah, it did, and, what is the next Cassie book? I'll have to look to see, but the, not the next Cassie book, but the one after it is another, like, really high, fun, high seas adventure book. It's not on the high seas, but it's another, like, fun adventure. Sure. So. Alright. Uh, I feel like, um, I need to have, like, a chaser of something happy after I read these books. <laughs> well, what what is something that made you happy this week? We can end this on something that made us happy each week here and use that as our chaser. <laughs> <laughs> so what's something awesome that happened to you this week? Um, I had a little bit of a confidence boost at work i'll keep it pretty vague because i'm probably not supposed to talk about it but um (laughs) basically i had written something i did some creative writing for a project at work um totally didn't need to do this writing but i gave it to the actual writer on the project you know expecting her to change pretty much everything i told her she could change whatever she wanted because it wasn't like this wasn't my job and she sent it back to me, and she kept, like, 90% of it. She, like, changed some of the wording around, but she kept what I had written. So I, I had this moment of, like, oh, my God, a writer thinks I can write. This is amazing. That's awesome. Um, 
Yeah, so that made me pretty happy this week. How about you? Ooh. Um, hmm. I don't know. I feel like I've had a pretty downer week, and probably part of it was getting through this book. But oh. let's see if I can parse out something happy that happened this week. Well, I have an easy answer, so I'll say it, and you can tell me if it's lame, but I am just so glad that at the end of this freaking mess of a week that I got to get on the phone with you and just talk for like half an hour about Aww. anything, <laughs> because it's always such a joyful moment to me to be able to to reconnect, and Aww. I mean, you know... I think I've said it before. I'm just really glad that we have this thing now where we have like a set time where you have to talk to me oh against god. your will. Oh my god. <laughs> it's such a chore, goddammit. <laughs> so I was glad that we, before, like, I, I don't know, behind the curtains or whatever, but before the call, we had like a 45 minute conversation about not animals. And it was just awesome to. Now my answer feels really selfish and lame, and your answer was very no, sweet and heartfelt. Your <laughs> answer's amazing. No, when you told me that, I was, I'm so freaking proud of you. That's amazing. Aww. So I'm glad you said that, because I, I love that answer. You, I mean, I know that you do awesome writing, so for me, I'm like, yeah, duh. And I think that's what I said, which maybe came off as a little mean when you no. first told me. Because no. the first, you're like, yeah, the writer sent this back to me with, like, no changes. I was like, yeah, duh. Like, and what I meant was, like, yeah, duh, you're a great writer. <laughs> like, Aww. obviously. So, sorry. Sorry if it came off mean. <laughs> In no, type, I, I don't always come off well. Oh, <laughs> I love you. Oh, I love you, too. <laughs> Our Animorphs bringing us together. Aw. <laughs> uh, so many emotions were had. So many. Oh, man. Well, should we get out of here before the two-hour time limit? Yeah, we have four minutes. That's when Jake would be like, oh, shit, you guys morph back. Yeah, this would be the time when we're, like, struggling through molasses and, like, concentrating as hard as we've ever concentrated in our lives. Oh, God. That scene is still horrifying. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. But I'm really excited I'll tell you, because by the time this podcast comes out, that one will have already come out. So for the oh, yeah. the episode arc for that one, I'm totally doing two wolves with just our heads edited onto that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's happening. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm really pumped. I'm really excited that you're doing a, like an art piece for each episode. That's just like, oh man, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm really excited, too, especially because the whole premise is that they're really bad art pieces. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just love that whole, like, goofy kind of thing. So, I love it. I love it, too. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's our show. Uh, that's thanks our for show. listening. Uh, we actually have listeners now, which is exciting. Um, we recorded the first few episodes as a backlog and now we are actually going live with them and we actually have listeners which is awesome thank you guys i know and like shout out to the animorphs facebook group which casey can't go on sorry there's spoilers oh, yeah. so banned. guys i'm filtering everything that goes to her but like you guys are freaking amazing and like the comments that that like 
how many podcasts of Animorphs there are is incredible to me. And like, we've started this whole thing on there where they're like cataloging the podcasts and fanfics and stuff that you can go read now. Like two people on there started a project to do this. So that's awesome. <laughs> Yay. Exciting stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, tune in in a couple weeks. We'll have a new episode for you. And, uh, Till then, I don't know. We need like a cool sign off. Adios, like, amigos. Adios. <laughs> I don't. That's Fandalites. Not a good one. I don't know. I know. I have so many Fandalite Andalite puns on Facebook, but on here, I'm just I'm dry. Well, we'll figure something out, and then we'll edit it in because that's what you can do in a podcast. Yep. All right. Oh my god, we have two seconds. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>